G'day guys, good to see you all. Uh, please uh, turn to Exodus 20, that's uh, the first reading, that's what we'll be looking at tonight and uh, you'll really need your outline as well. So if you didn't get an outline or you need a Bible, put your hand up in the air now and uh, someone at the back there will sort you out with one. Uh, and at the end of tonight, after the song, after the sermon, we'll be having another question time. It's been great, the number of uh, questions coming in on feedback slips. So myself, I've needed a couple of extra hours in my week just to type up email responses to lots of them. But uh, uh, so you don't need to write them on a feedback slip tonight. You can ask them in the question time. Uh, but as we start, I actually want you to listen to a song or a bit of a song. Uh, so here we go. And listen to the words. We had to get to my favourite line about the lemonade, but uh, uh, now the reason I wanted to play that for you uh, is just to confirm once and for all that I'm the coolest member of the ministry team, but um, uh, if that was ever in doubt, but um, you know who that was? That was Kanye West, I think we've got a picture of Kanye here for us, that was Kanye, and praise God, Kanye seems to have become a Christian, which is wonderful, isn't it? You know, isn't that, I mean... Christians can be funny when a celebrity becomes a Christian. We can do two wrong reactions, I think. One, we can be so overexcited about it. it, it the, the angels rejoice in heaven exactly the same amount for Kanye as they do for one of us becoming a Christian. There's nothing special about him becoming a Christian. But then other Christians can be all cynical about it. He's, he's someone who says he loves Jesus, so praise God, I say. But anyway, uh, now he switched from singing frankly not that helpful songs about how he's the centre of the universe and uh, he's God's gift, mainly to women, it seems to me, listening to his back catalogue, but uh, he switched now to, to singing songs about how Jesus is God's gift to everyone and how he's not the centre of the universe anymore because Jesus is, which I think is just great, so praise God. But that song was about the Sabbath and especially about Chick-fil-A. Have you ever heard of Chick-fil-A? Who's heard of Chick-fil-A? Few people. Who's ever eaten Chick-fil-A? Oh, a couple of people who've been to America, there you go. So Chick-fil-A, there's the line in the song, closed on Sundays, you my Chick-fil-A. Uh, Chick-fil-A is a fast food chain in America uh, and it's massive and it apparently makes the best chicken burgers or, or chicken sandwiches, as they call them there, uh, in the world, undisputed. So you can ask a couple of those people who've had them about that later on. Uh, here's a picture of one of them. Uh, I think that must be with the lemonade in the background, but uh, must be a number one meal. But uh, now you're either, you're either like me and you think that looks awesome, 
or you're sitting there going, that looks disgusting. There's two, I think there's only two reactions to that. But uh, the reason Kanye was singing about Chick-fil-A and the reason I'm talking about it tonight is Chick-fil-A was established by a Christian, a guy named S. Truett Catty is his name. Uh, he's dead now, but uh, he tried to run it as a Christian company. Uh, in fact, it's been in the news lately, you might have heard about it, because the, the sort of uh, tolerance brigade, the self-appointed tolerance people uh, in England actually got Chick-fil-A shut down there. So they, uh, Chick-fil-A started opening a couple of stores and shopping centres in England uh, and uh, the, the tolerance police sort of uh, complained about them and, and got them kicked out, basically, all because they dared to make donations to the Salvation Army who don't support gay marriage. And so because they give money to organisations that don't support gay marriage, apparently you're not allowed to go to their stores, uh, which is astounding if you think about it, isn't it? And there's something horrible about our world at the moment. But the funny thing is, they tried that in America as well. Uh, but there, people are so addicted to those chicken sandwiches that, that even comedians even make joke, jokes about it. I've seen it in sitcoms from America where comedians sort of say, hey, I'm all for gay marriage, but, but don't make me not eat a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A for it. I'm not that into it. You know, that's sort of the, the thing. But anyway, we could have a whole sermon on that topic. But, <laughs> The thing that's relevant to us here is that because he is a Christian, Mr. Cathy never allowed any of his stores to be open on Sundays. So thousands of stores, I read in one thing that it's the third biggest chain in America, thousands of stores and people who were, took a franchise, that sort of thing, one of the things you had to agree is that you would not open on a Sunday. So that's Kanye's point, closed on Sundays, you my Chick-fil-A. So this company has become the third biggest chain in America. Its stores, I read on one thing, earn on average double what every McDonald's or KFC or any of them, them earn, all without selling anything on a Sunday. Apparently, Mr. Cathy said, Sunday is for rest and especially for spending time with your church family. Uh, and so whether or not his employees were Christians, he didn't discriminate, he was happy to employ people who were Muslim, who were no religion, who were gay or straight or whatever, he didn't discriminate, but he wanted them to have the chance to rest with their family and in particular the chance to go to church on Sunday. So he said, I won't open my stores, I won't, won't ask anyone to do what I'm not willing to do. How good is that? Isn't that great? I think this guy sounds tops. But, uh, but it raises the question, as a Christian... Did he have to do that? That's what I want us to think about. Do, do we have to keep the Sabbath, or at least Sunday, uh, as a day for the Lord? Is it wrong to work on a Sunday? Or is it wrong to buy a chicken burger uh, on, on a Sunday? I'm sure you all know the, uh, the story of Chariots of Fire. It's about Eric Liddell, the Scottish... If you haven't, if you don't know the story of Eric Liddell, go and get a book and read about him. He is a hero. Uh, he was the Scottish runner. That's him on, on one side of the photo there. Uh, who gave up a, a, a basically a certain gold medal. He was the Usain Bolt of his day and he was certain to win the gold medal but at the 1924 Olympics they put the heats on a Sunday and he said, well, I'm not going to run. So I'm not going to run on a Sunday. Uh, even though he was guaranteed to win, he didn't run. He actually then, and this is what the other picture's about, he went on to become a missionary in China uh, and he died in the Second World War in a Japanese concentration camp. Uh, and that's, he's one of those men there. Uh, and you should read his story, it's incredible, because he basically died sharing the gospel with other prisoners in this concentration camp. And even people who didn't become Christians through him 
say he is the, he is the most wonderful person they've ever met, universally. He, he is just because he was this incredibly selfless man. Again, totally inspiring, but also again, was he right? Was it wrong for him to run on a Sunday? That question of the Sabbath, and especially how the Sabbath law applies to Christians, is a massive question. And it actually divides Christians, uh, and it's our topic today. Uh, and I want to make a warning as we start. Uh, I think this is the commandment that will actually make you think more than any of the other commandments and will challenge how you've used your time in the past. And it will actually make you think, actually, maybe I haven't done the right thing on this commandment in the past. I think it, it may be the one that does that more than any other. But I don't want you to then get defensive about it. I'm interested in what you do going forward in, in response to it. So, so I just want to give that warning as we start. But before we get into all the questions, we tend to want answered, you know, is it a sin to miss church? Uh, am I allowed to take a work shift on, on a Sunday? What, what about sport? We tend to have questions like that because deep down we're all Pharisees, me included. Deep down we all just want, why can't Phil just give us some rules and send us home, you know, just be easier that way. And we will get to those questions but far more important than that are the principles of the Sabbath. So first of all, let's start with the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Look at your outline and look at Exodus chapter 20, the Sabbath in the Old Testament. So this is the fourth commandment. It's there in verses 8 to 11. Uh, and you'll look there, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a really simple command. Uh, work for six days, but then set aside the seventh day for rest and especially for God. Now, truth be told, and tell me if I'm wrong, but we read this and we sort of think, is that really worth including in the top 10? I think we just sort of think, you know, yeah, I get no other gods, absolutely God, put that in the top 10. I get no idols, I get no murder, get no adultery, I even get no lying and stealing. Uh, but the Sabbath, top 10? I think if you were to come up with your top 10 laws, I doubt, you might prove me wrong, but I doubt we'd include the Sabbath. And even if we don't think that, the way many modern Christians have such a lax attitude to church attendance shows it, I think. We probably wouldn't put keeping one day out of seven for God in our top ten. But if you read the Old Testament, you can actually mount a case that along with idolatry, this is the biggest commandment of them all. Uh, I'll tell you, certainly if you look there, it's the longest and most detailed. So do you notice that? As you look at the Ten Commandments, God gives the most time to, to this commandment. It's the one most mentioned in the rest of the Old Testament. So we go through the rest of the Old Testament, this is the command that comes up more often. Uh, and again, along with idolatry, it's given as the reason that God gives for why He finally judged Israel and sent them into exile. It's because they worshipped idols and because they refused to keep the Sabbath. And if you ever doubt how seriously God took this law, read the story in Numbers 15. Don't do it now, but, but read it later on. The story in Numbers 15 about the man who gathered wood on the Sabbath and who God put to death. If we question the importance of this, the problem is with us. The problem's in our mind, not with God. It's our thinking that's out of whack. So, back to the command. Really very simple. Six days, work hard. Seventh day, rest. Now, why did God give this command to the Old Testament people? Well, some people say it's just common sense. 
People say, it's just, it's just God being loving because one day in seven off is good for us. Uh, and so people just say, look, we know that ourselves. And you know it yourself, don't you? If you work and you just keep working, eventually you run out of puff. And so people say it's just sort of common sense that people should take one day off in seven. But actually, that was not self-evident to most cultures. Uh, one of the, the differences for Israel after being saved out of slavery in Egypt is in Egypt, they never got a day off. They just worked every day until they died. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but there are scientific reasons for the year. Something to do with the earth and the sun, and I'm not a scientist. You know what I'm talking about. You know, there, there are scientific reasons for the month to do with the moon and stuff. If I go into any more detail than that, I'll get it wrong. So, you know, you know. There's, there's a reason for the day. I know this one. It's just how long the earth takes to rotate around. Uh, there is no reason for the seven-day week. No scientific reason for the seven-day week. No reason you would get just from observing the world because the reason actually comes from God. Uh, it's the way God created the world and set it up and what God said is good, which is the point of verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says, For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So it's saying it goes actually back to creation and back to God himself. God shows us that even for him, work is not an end in itself. You don't work in order to work. You work in order to rest and enjoy God's good creation. That's what God taught us there. There is a goal to rest and enjoy what he created. And so the command says, follow God's example, work hard for six days, but then take a day in the week to rest and remember what we exist for, which is to glorify God, to know him, to bring him the glory. And do you notice there in verse 10, look at verse 10, he knows it was for everyone, it's for your family, it's for your workers, for people visiting you, it's, it's for everyone because all people need this. It's good for society. Uh, and you can see this is true, can you? I mean, many of you are actually too young. When I was a bit younger than I am today, no shops opened on Sunday. No one worked on Sunday other than ministers. You see, back, and, and you actually, they didn't even open on Saturday afternoon. Now, that was in Brisbane, it was probably a bit backward, but you know what I mean. Uh, they, the shops shut at 12 o'clock on Saturday, but over time, now, everything goes seven days a week. And, and people think, how convenient. They go, I can go shopping at 10 o'clock on Sunday night. But think about it, that means other people have to work at 10 o'clock on Sunday night. And usually, the people who have to work at 10 o'clock on Sunday night are the people who have the least. You see, it's all great for rich people, this 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week thing, but for people who don't have as much, they're the ones who are away from their family and have to sleep all day when the rest of their family's awake. It's not good for society. It means in marriages, one spouse often works Monday to Friday, nine to five, but then they get home and the other spouse has gone to work and, and they never see one another. Uh, and as our society has sacrificed any idea of a Sabbath for 24-7 trading, I think you'd have to say we're a much happier bunch, aren't we? That was sarcasm, just in case you missed it. We're not happier. We have an epidemic of stress. We have an epidemic of burnout. We have an epidemic of family breakdowns. And I think it's significantly because of 
the fact that our society goes 24 hours a day, seven days a week and does not have a Sabbath. It's just a reminder, God's way is best. It's best for you, but it's also best for society, for everyone. But what did it mean to remember the Sabbath in the Old Testament? Well, first of all, we mustn't skip over verse 9. Look there. It says, you are to labour six days and do all your work. God is not a fan of laziness. It is godly to work hard. And that's not just talking about paid employment. Some people can't work or some people uh, are not in paid employment but work very hard in other roles, I think particularly of mothers. Uh, Some people are retired. Whatever our situation though, God wants us to be productive. Whether you're paid for it or not, sort of not really the point. God wants us to be productive members of society. Use your six days well but then give God one day. And so in the Old Testament, there were two aspects to that day. They're there on your outline or up here on the screen. The first of all, the Sabbath was to rest from your business and rest from your work. The Sabbath, rest is good for us. That's what the Sabbath reminds us and we've seen that already. Uh, The Sabbath was to remind them that their work and making money were not the centre of everything. As I said before, they were a means, not an end. In a way, the Sabbath really showed whether a person trusted God. Because if you trusted God... You said, I trust God enough to provide for me even if I don't work all the time, even if I don't work on that day. And it also showed whether God was the centre of your life. Because am I willing to organise my work and my life in such a way that I can spare a full day for God? But the day off wasn't just about rest, it was about resting with God and His people. And so the second part of the Sabbath in the Old Testament was it provided a day to gather together with God and His people. Leviticus 23, verse 3, says the Sabbath is a day for sacred assembly. Basically, it's saying Sabbath was the day for church in the Old Testament. That's what it was for. The Sabbath wasn't a day to play footy. The the Sabbath wasn't a day to go to the beach. It was a day to meet together and remind one another of God's love It's to remind one another of God's glory, to remind one another and spend time praising God together. So that was the two parts. Firstly, God's people were to rest from their work. And secondly, God's people were to come together and spend time together with God. That was the point of the Sabbath. But that was the Old Testament. We don't live under the Old Testament law anymore. Uh, Jesus has come and fulfilled the law. So how does this apply to us? This is the, we're getting towards our questions How does this and does it still apply to us? Well, this is where you need to go back to my first talk, four talks ago. So remember how I did a talk that wasn't on any of the specific commandments to start the series and I said to you, you need to hear this talk or you're going to misunderstand all the other ones that come afterwards? Well, this is the point where that sort of comes home to roost, if you like. Uh, So if you didn't hear that first talk, can I ask you to go home tonight, listen to it on the podcast so you, you catch up on that. But do you remember in that first talk... We talked about the different types of laws in the Old Testament and how some of the laws are fulfilled differently than others of the laws fulfilled differently by Jesus. So there are laws that we call sometimes moral laws and what we saw was Jesus fulfills them by keeping them perfectly uh, and they, but they still apply to us. So, so God's morality doesn't change, God still hates murder, God still hates sexual immorality, God still hates lying, that the moral laws still apply. But then, do you remember how I pointed out there were laws we sometimes call ceremonial laws? And they were laws that applied at that time, 
But even then, were pointing us forward to Jesus. And so Jesus came and fulfilled them. He did them, yes. But he particularly fulfilled them by being what they pointed forward to. So I'll give you a couple of examples I gave in that talk. I hope you remember. We don't follow the laws about the temple anymore. When we build a building, we don't build a massive temple with a holy of holies and put an ark in it and all that sort of stuff. We don't go to a temple to worship God. Why not? Because Jesus came and said, I'm the true temple. All those laws were a shadow of the reality. They were pointing forward to me. I'm the one you come and meet with God by faith in Jesus. Uh, We don't follow the laws about sacrifices of goats and bulls and sheep anymore. Why not? Because Jesus' death is the one sacrifice that's paid for all sin, once for all time. So we don't, those laws are still relevant to us. They teach us, but they don't apply to us. They point us forward to Jesus, their true fulfilment. So the question to ask here is, is the idea of the Sabbath, is it like those moral laws that apply for all time? Or is it more a ceremonial law that Jesus has now fulfilled? I hope you see the question. So what does the New Testament say? Well, it's funny, if you've ever read the Gospels, you will know, Jesus seemed to spend a lot of time doing stuff on the Sabbath. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed just how often it says, Jesus was doing this and it was on the Sabbath? Jesus did this, especially if it was in front of the Pharisees, on the Sabbath, over and over again. In fact, his biggest run-ins with the Pharisees were about the Sabbath, and that was our New Testament reading tonight. Because Jesus did things like, we saw in Matthew, uh, allowing his disciples to pick some grain as they walked through the field on the Sabbath. Loads and loads of times, Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath law. They, They made that accusation over and over and over again. I don't think Jesus actually did break it. What Jesus was doing was he was getting rid of all the extra laws they had built up around it. And in particular, what he was doing was was he was trying to show them that the Sabbath law isn't the only law. That that sometimes you've got to love your neighbour, you've got to do something on the Sabbath. If your neighbour is ill, you go and help him, even if Jesus is trying to show them how to truly obey the Sabbath law. Because you see, they had turned this wonderful gift of God, time to rest and trying to spend time with God, they turned it into this horrible burden where you spent the whole day worrying that, am I allowed to help my friend? Or will that mean I've broken God's law? See, they'd made the Sabbath this worrying, burdensome obligation. But Jesus said, look at Mark 2, 27, it's up on the screen. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath one of the most powerful things Jesus said. He, he, he's saying, you, you guys have missed the wood for the trees. You, you haven't got this right. You, you've turned this good gift of God into a horrible burden for people that just sort of weighs them down and, and oppresses them and makes them worry about whether they can ever be right with God. But Jesus did more than just challenge their legalistic way of thinking about the Sabbath. He also showed them what the Sabbath was pointing to just like what the temple was pointing to and just like what the sacrifices were pointing to. See, he showed us how he had come to bring a real Sabbath. See, the point of the Sabbath was to remind them every week of what they were made for, which is to come and find rest with God. 
to come and find peace with God. And so when they did that on that one day of the week, it was meant to say to them, you are looking forward to a time when this will be forever. Not just one day in seven, but you are looking forward to a time that will go on forever when you permanently rest with God. When all the struggles of this world are gone, when all the pains of this world are gone. And that's the point of one of the most famous things Jesus ever said, and it was in that reading from Matthew 11 earlier on. Matthew 11, 28 says this, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I hope you can see what he's saying. He's saying the real Sabbath rest isn't found by stopping work for 24 hours on a Friday evening. It's found by coming to Jesus. Because Jesus says, come to me and you don't need to keep worrying anymore. Come to me and you don't need to keep wondering if you've done enough work to please God, like the Pharisees thought they had to. You don't need to live with that horrible uncertainty of, have I done enough or will God reject me? Did I maybe do something I shouldn't have on a Sabbath sometime? No, Jesus has taken all of that burden away, he's taken all of that uncertainty away and said, no, 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 come and find real peace with God. Come and find a Sabbath rest that will last forever. Just come and trust in me, Jesus says. And that's why Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, says this. It's up on the screen again. Oh, hang on, I've gone too far. It says, therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. See, what's that talking about? It's talking about heaven. Or more correctly, it's talking about when Jesus returns and brings in a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. And Jesus says, our true Sabbath will be then. Because then you won't work sometimes and then spend one day a week with God. No, then you will rest forever in God's presence. You won't just have one day in seven to rest with God and enjoy knowing Him. You'll have all eternity. And the only way to enter that Sabbath rest is by trusting in Jesus. If you really want to grapple with this, have a read of Hebrews 4 later on, maybe read that in your quiet times this week. Uh, It draws this all together wonderfully, it's the most important passage on this topic, I think. And the big point of Hebrews 4 is, it's saying to us, whatever you do, whatever you do with your Saturday or your Sunday, whatever you do, don't miss out on that Sabbath rest. Don't miss out on heaven. Don't miss out on spending eternity with God. Don't miss out because you have not trusted in Jesus. Don't miss out because you've stopped trusting in Jesus. And I want to say to you, if you are not yet a Christian here tonight, uh, before you think about how you spend your Sunday, that's a secondary question. I want to say to you, before you worry about how you use your time, what you do with your work and your day off and all that sort of stuff, whatever you do, I want you to come and find true rest with God. That's the most important thing. I want you to be someone who trusts in Jesus and who knows that you'll spend eternity with God. Now, I've dealt with massive ideas there, and if you haven't followed it at all, that's okay. Uh, But the point to get is this. This commandment has been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus has given us an eternal rest. And so the New Testament makes it very clear that the Sabbath law does not apply to us directly as Christians. God does not demand 
that you stop work at sundown on a Friday and do not do any work for 24 hours. Uh, when I was in Jerusalem a couple of years ago, I was in the marketplace on Friday afternoon uh, and then out of nowhere comes this guy with a massive ram's horn and he blows it and suddenly the people just, it was, it was crowded in and suddenly it was like, Choo! and I'm like, where'd they all go? You, you know, because Jews still follow the Sabbath, they're still under the law, they follow the Sabbath law but not Christians. And in fact, if someone tells you that you must keep a Jewish Sabbath, uh, the Apostle Paul tells you, don't listen to them. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 2. It says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. So he's actually talking about all those Old Testament ceremonial laws, the food laws, the, the festivals and the Sabbath law. Don't let anyone judge you and say, you have to go back to obeying the Old Testament law to be a Christian. Paul says, no, 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 they haven't understood something. They haven't understood the last part there. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. And so I want to say to you, make sure, if if you get nothing else out of this sermon, make sure you get that. Make sure you receive the Sabbath rest that matters, which is a place in eternity with God. And you get that by keeping, trusting in Jesus. So that brings us finally to those questions I told you I'd get there, those questions I started with. Do you have to keep the Sabbath? The answer is no. I trust in Jesus. He has given me rest and now I look forward to my eternal Sabbath with Him. But, and this is a very big but, but the principles of the Sabbath do still apply to us. God still wants you to take rest from your work and God still wants you to spend that day of rest with him and with his people. Very soon after the resurrection, Christians stopped meeting on the Sabbath, that is Saturday, but then they started meeting on the day Jesus rose from the dead, which was Sunday and almost straight away, Christians started calling Sunday the Lord's Day. Acts 20, verse 7, you can look these up later if you like, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2, they talk about how Christian disciples gathered on the first day of the week. That was a change. Jews gathered on the last day of the week. Christians started gathering on the first day of the week. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, John talks about spending time with God on the Lord's day. He's talking about Sunday. And so from the very beginning, once you then go beyond the Bible... Almost straight away, Christian writing talks about Christians meet together on Sunday, the day of the resurrection, the Lord's Day. B.B. Warfield, he's a great Christian theologian, he said this, he said, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's Day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. See, just because the Sabbath doesn't apply, doesn't mean mean that the principles of the Sabbath don't apply. I hope that makes sense. So what does that mean? We're getting to those questions. Uh, Well, I think it means Christians should aim to keep the Lord's day for the Lord and they should aim to make it a day of rest and meeting together with God and His people. And I think the best way to understand it, and I've been thinking all week about the clearest way to say it, it's up there on the screen, is we should consider keeping the Lord's day as a free and joyful obligation. 
I'm conscious that the word obligation and the word free don't often fit together, but I think it captures it. It's a free and joyful thing. You're not under the law, but it's something Christians just should do. Now, that means, because it's a free and joyful thing, that means Christians will disagree about where to draw the line. And that's okay. So you'll meet some Christians who draw the line here and some Christians who draw the line here. Uh, But that is not to say there are not lines to be drawn. Sometimes Christians say, because there's no law, that means there's no lines to be... No, 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 there are lines to be drawn on this issue. So there are strict Sabbatarian Christians, or more correctly, Lord's Dietarians, who who say, uh, you must not do anything other than church and fellowship and spending time with your own family on Sunday. You must not mow the lawn. You, you, you must not pick up a barbecue chook on the way home from, work, from, from church. Uh, you, you must not do sport. Certainly no work on Sunday. Really, something funny happened today. I went to get a barbecue chook after church and the store was shut. It was like Chick-fil-A had come to Australia. But, um, now, if you believe that is what God wants, then you do that. I don't want to talk you out of, uh, out of that commitment to Sunday. But I just want to caution we need to remember that we're not under the law. Don't forget that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, in the same way, the Lord's day is made for man, not the Lord's day. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. But then I want to say, the correct response to that sort of overzealous Sabbath keeping, the correct response is to not then swing to where I think many modern Christians have swung to. I'll get to church when I can. I'll compare it to other options for my time, like family events and sport and birthday parties, whatever, whatever it is. And if I'm at church, two out of four, that's pretty good. If we think like that, I want to say to you, we've missed the point. Uh, where ironically, we have the spirit of the Pharisees. We're saying, I'll just do the bare minimum to keep God happy. That, that is not someone who knows the love of Jesus. So what does it look like to follow the principles of the Sabbath, to keep it, to keep the Lord's day as a free and joyful obligation? I've got four points. The first is, I think it means genuinely prioritising a day in the week for gathering with God's people. And usually that is Sunday. Uh, Now, it's not a law that it has to be Sunday. In Muslim countries, Christians have to meet on Fridays because that's the only day people are allowed to have off work and so churches meet on Friday. So not a law but Sunday is best, I think. And what do I mean by genuinely prioritising it? Well, I think it means putting it above other things as a consistent rule. Putting it above other things as a consistent rule. So I want to say with certainty, Christians should not arrange events that compete with the gathering of their church family. I don't think Christians should say, do you know what, I'm going to put my birthday party on on a Sunday night or on a Sunday morning or, or times like that. Now, there's plenty of other time in the week to do that. Christians don't, shouldn't do that. And we should generally say no to events that compete with our Sunday gathering. Now, once in a while then, we might decide that a one-off event, it's best that I do attend that because I'm seeking to win that person for Christ, I want to be a witness to them, because uh, I've said no to so many family events, I have to go to this, you know, that sort of idea. Once in a while we do that, because we're not under the law, but that's a decision we make reluctantly, it's a decision we make prayerfully and, and carefully and rarely. 
Uh, we need to work to organise the other things in our life to make church the priority God wants, us, wants it to be for us. So that's genuine priority, in my view. Second point, I think it is a good thing to try to set aside the whole day, not just two hours in the morning or the evening. I think it is a great thing when people come to two services on a Sunday. It's a dying part of Christian culture, go back 30 years and, and probably quite a large proportion, I'd be making up the percentage so I'm not going to say, you know, quite a large proportion of Christians went to church twice on a Sunday. Uh, I think that's a great thing. I love it when people here come on Sunday morning to teach kids ministry and then come here to, for, for their fellowship, for their church gathering. I think that is wonderful and a great application. For that reason, I just want to say, I think there is a danger in early morning services and in evening services, like this one. We're not going to close it down, don't worry. Uh, but if the reason I go to church at 8.30 in the morning or 6.30 at night is so that it doesn't get in the way and I get another day to do whatever I like, that's a really worrying reason. But again, we're not under the law. And in our modern world, we have other times in the week as well. So uh, we don't, back in the ancient world, when it got dark, that was the end of the day. We can come out on a Wednesday night and spend time in fellowship. We can go out and serve on a Friday night at youth group, whatever it is. Uh, so I don't, we don't just meet with God and his people on a Sunday, but we do it on a Wednesday night and so forth. And that impacts how much time we set aside. So my point is, it's not a law, it's a principle and we have to ask the question, am I prioritising good time in my week for spending with God and His people? That's the principle of the Sabbath. Third point, what about work on a Sunday? Is it okay to take work shifts that mean I can't meet with God and His people on Sundays? Well, sadly, in our 24-7 world, some jobs, you just don't get a choice. So some professions have to work on a Sunday. Go, go back 100 years and there was one profession who had to work on a Sunday and you're looking at him. You, you know, I was the only... You, no one else did, just the minister. But we, the emergency department has to stay open at the hospital. You, you, you know, uh, transport has to run, all these sort of things. So some people have to work on a Sunday. That's okay. But if that is our situation, we then need to make sure we find other times to prioritise meeting with God's people. So if our work means we regularly have to miss church, we need to prioritise gospel teams 200%, if you, if you get my point. And we'll need to arrange other times, informal times, to catch up with brothers and sisters in Christ. But having said that, I do think we need to think long and hard about choosing to work on Sundays. Where we are senior enough to have the choice but we then choose to work on a Sunday because that pays more. I think that's really problematic. I think that means we're, we're putting money and work above what God says should be our priorities. Uh, and where we are the employer, I realise there's not many of us here in that situation, but where we're the employer, I think Chick-fil-A is a great example. Closed on Sunday. Uh, it's not a law, but I think it's a pretty good model of what a Christian employer might do they don't want everyone having to miss church so they can make money. You see, it's not rules and laws, though. It's principles and motives that you've got to question. Motives and principles that matter. And I think we should think about this, and this is really relevant to this congregation. I think we should think about this when we choose a job. 
or when we move from one job to the other. Do you know, perhaps the last truly great Church of England bishop, he was the Bishop of Liverpool in the 1880s, that says something in and of itself, but uh, the last truly great one was a guy called J.C. Ryle, and in his day, the railways had started up and everyone wanted a job on the railways because you earned a lot of money, but it meant you had to work on Sundays. And this is what he preached. Have a look. He says, remember this in choosing a calling, a place or profession in life. It is not enough that the salary is high, the wage is good, the work light, the advantages numerous, the prospects of getting on most favourable. I love the fact that even in 1880, the perfect job was where the wages are good and the work is light. I love that. But anyway, he says, that's not enough. This is the important bit. Think of your soul, your immortal soul. Will it be prospered or drawn back? Will you have your Sundays free and be able to have one day in the week for your spiritual business? I beseech you by the mercies of God to take heed what you do. Make no rash decision. Look at the place in every light, the light of God as well as the light of the world. Gold may be bought too dear. It will profit you nothing to fill your purse if you bring leanness and poverty on your soul. Do you find that as challenging as I find it? And it leads well into my final point. The principle of the Sabbath impacts far more than what we do on a Sunday. Uh, This law speaks a lot to us of our attitude just to time in general, and especially to work in general. So my fourth and final point, the Sabbath law tells us to put work in its place. See, on the one hand, the Scriptures tell us, work hard, don't be a slacker. And I think a certain proportion of us need to hear that. Don't worry so much about the rest bit, just do some work, you know. Uh, Work hard, don't be a slacker. Like I said before, whether you are paid or unpaid, use your six days well. But then, the other side of that coin that the Scriptures tell us is don't let work and its very close bedfellow greed, don't let them consume you. Work must never become an end in itself for the Christian. Work must never be what defines you, what drives you. That must be Jesus. So when someone asks you, tell me about yourself, I hope the first thing you say is, I'm a Christian, not I'm a carpenter or I'm a teacher or I'm a doctor, whatever it is you are, because your work does not define you. Jesus defines you. And so that means we must not forget that rest and recreation are good things and we must not forget that we work in order to rest with God. That's the end point. So that means people should look at you and they should look at me and they should look at how we use our time and they should say, what a hard worker on the one hand, nothing, no worse witness for the gospel than when people say, there's the Christian and he's the slackest guy in the office. There's a horrible witness. They say, what a hard worker. But then they say, but at the same time, work is obviously well below God and well below family and well below other things. In their priorities. Don't you think that's what people should say as they look at us and how we use our time? We're not under the law but we must, our work must be below God and I think below family and several other things as well for us. I think this impacts decisions husbands and wives make about how much they both work 
Our, our modern world now just tell us husbands and wives both work as much as you can and just maximise your income while you've got the chance. The fourth commandment says don't do that if it means your marriage suffers. Don't do that if it means your Christian commitment suffers. Don't do that if it means you can't spend time in Christian fellowship together. Again, we're not under the law, but we've got to think about those principles and what's really important to us. Well, that's the fourth commandment. As I said before, I think this one may well have challenged many of us more than any of the others, and that's okay, that's a good thing. Uh, My prayer is, though, that you won't go home going, oh, gee, I wish Phil hadn't said that. (laughs) You might do that. But my prayer is you'll go home and you'll say, do you know what, in the past, I might not have followed those principles as well as I should have. In the past, I might have made decisions that didn't honour God with my time, so I praise God that I'm forgiven in Christ, but now going forward, I'm going to make better decisions. That's my hope. My prayer is you'll go home and think about this and make some changes in our life, free and joyful changes. Uh, We'll all have made bad decisions on this, we'll have made good decisions on this, but I hope it's challenged you to think about making some different decisions going forward. And more than anything, I hope you are looking forward with me to the real Sabbath rest, because that's what really matters, when we'll rest forever with our Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to bring us true rest, to give us certainty of salvation, so that we can rest from our struggles and instead know that we are able to spend eternity with you because we trust in Christ. And we pray for each person here that we will keep trusting Jesus and so not miss out on that rest. But Father, we also pray that we will think about how to apply the principles of the Sabbath to ourselves. That in particular, we will think about how we prioritise spending time in fellowship with you and your people. And we will think about not making work the centre of our life, not being the thing that defines us. Instead, we pray that people will look at how we use our time and it will be obvious that we are people who love Jesus and love his people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.